Well, good morning, church. My name is Scott. I'm lead pastor here. Will you pray with me as we begin? Jesus, uh, thank you so much for uh, this Sunday online, uh, this, this moment. Thank you for the scripture that is Job. And God, would you um, meet us here in this space today? In your name we pray. Amen. Job series, week two. Uh, my title today is called Praising in the Pain. Praising in the Pain. Big news this week uh, out of the world of Bible archaeology, uh, a discovery was made. I don't know if you saw this or not in your news feeds. Uh, and I quote the article that I just came across this week Buried under the sands of Babylon for thousands of years, a chapter of the book of Job was discovered by archaeologists in what is being called the most incredible find since the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just this week, it's amazing. The new chapter sheds new light on the suffering of Job by showing that he had to assemble furniture from Ikea. The article continues, we knew, knew the suffering of Job was bad, but had no clue it was this bad until now, said Dr. Felipe Domino, professor of Babylonian studies at Oxford. Scriptural scholars confirm the new chapter of Job takes place between chapters two and three. Shortly after Job's wife tells her husband to curse God and die, she then asks him why he hasn't put together the new coat and hat rack from Ikea yet. Job's friends look on awkwardly as Job attempts to put the furniture together. According to the text, they do not interrupt him for seven days and seven nights. It gives new meaning to the opening of Job's chapter, which says, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, this actually was a news article I found this week. This is parody. It's a joke that comes to us from the Babylon Bee. There was not a new chapter in the book of Job this week, uh, but I found it hilarious because personally, I hate putting together furniture at Kia. And in a much larger capacity, it is okay to laugh a bit. Uh, before we begin, Job, before we begin, what are a couple of really hard chapters? Because week after week, over the next uh, seven weeks, we're going to be talking about suffering. We're going to be talking about doubt. We're going to be talking about hard relationships. We're going to talk about, God, why do you let this happen? And so a moment of levity I thought would be helpful um, because the reality is as you are chewing through this, you are juggling a lot. You are thinking through your life, your relationships, your experiences with God, and you got to make breakfast and get to work and there's a soccer game. And like, this is the complexity of our experiences. So as we open Job as a church, our hope is that we can embrace mystery, not in the absence of pain, not in the absence of questions, but right in our present tense. Now, last week I started with the end in mind. I started out of Job 42 to remind ourselves that Job isn't bad for his wrestling or his laments or his seeking to understand the ways of God. That is that is what it means to be human, to, to wrestle with uh, aspects of doubt at times when you're facing the unknowable. And the promise we said last week is pain happens and God is good. Like we can hold these things together. And I received uh, several people were just reaching out to say thank you for that treatment of Job week one. Here we go in week two. We are starting now at the beginning of Job one and two. This is our, this is our second sermon, but is in many ways another introduction. We're going to start at the beginning of Job, at the beginning of chapter one. Uh, today's teaching reminds us through the story of Job in chapters one and two that there's a cosmic battle that's taking place uh, for our heart, for our faith between good and evil. And so I want to kind of 
tackle a few kind of introductory elements, and then we're going to do a character study on the characters from Job 1 and 2. Um, but let me get a few things out of the way, because a few people grabbed me even after in-person church last week to say, Scott, hey, I, is this a real story or is this a parable? Um, scholars are divided. Many currently say parable or a story because Uz, some say from Job 1, there was a, uh, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Some say it's not a real place. Others say, no, it's absolutely a real place. It's in Southern Jordan. In the book of James, James says, consider Job. Like James is the only place in the New Testament that quotes Job. So James, the brother of Jesus, very much thought Job was a real person. James was written 2,000 years ago. But a lot of, lot of different um, thoughts on real parable. Personally, I have some thoughts. I, I'm not that worried about it because whether it is a parable given to us from God or Job was a historical character that lived every moment of this, either way, we must wrestle with his experience in light of our own and the character of God and what does faith look like. And really Job is the only, maybe Jonah, but Job and Jonah being kind of some of the only books of the Old Testament that, that a lot of Christians are approaching as parable. Most of the Bible is like, is, you know, historical fact. And, and personally, I'm not sure if that's a helpful trajectory, trying to figure out which elements are parable or historical fiction. So I have, I have my thoughts on it. Maybe you have yours. Let's not get hung up on it. Second, Many people, as they approach Job, say it's the oldest book of the Bible. Uh, some say, no, it's not the oldest book of the Bible. It was written in the Ezra-Nehemiah period. Uh, for Bible people, this is something they get excited about thinking about. They mention uh, that Job never mentions the Torah or the book of the law or the scriptures. And because of that, it was maybe written first before God gave us the other books of the Bible. Um, interesting. I'm not sure it matters that much, but some people, as they approach it as an introduction, they want, they want to think about that. So Job is either the first book of the Bible or maybe written in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, third, the third foundational thing, and kind of our final one before we kind of dig into thing, uh, the reality is that this book raises big questions. The big questions that come today is, why did God allow Satan to access Job's life? Uh, why didn't God say no? Why is Satan allowed to destroy an innocent man's possessions and family and later his physical health? Why? Why, why, why? Um, some say after reading Job 1 and 2, they struggle with God's character as a good father. And I would say if that's where you're at, as you read it, that is fair. Uh, it's a fair question. It's a fair perspective to take. I will also say that there is a opportunity in Job and one and two, not to question God's goodness, but question our own uh, desire for fairness in relationship with God. And certainly as we're gonna talk about here, Satan is a starring role here in Job one and two. We might come away from Job one and two with less of doubts of God's character and more certainty about Satan's role in our lives trying to destroy the aspects of God that are good around us. Um, I just, I wanna caution you as your pastor that if you're wrestling with the fairness of God, remember that as you read Job 1 and 2, humanity has free will. Like that's the story of the fall. We chose our own path. And God has set us up in relationship with him to choose relationship with him. 
And so we read Job 1 and 2 as ones who are able to choose faith because God has given that as an aspect of love. We also read Job, and Michelle said this at our in-person worship last week, and I was really glad she said it. We read Job after the cross. We're New Testament Christians covered by the blood of Christ. And so it, it, like Christians, like we don't, we don't talk about fairness because while we were still dead in our sin, Christ died for us. So our very faith is not built on some sort of equation of fairness. We were gifted grace. And so everything in Job, we must read after the cross. Does that make sense? I'm not talking, I'm not tying easy bow on things. I'm not talking you out of any doubts or questions. I'm not at all. I'm just, I'm suggesting that as you read Job 1 and 2, read it in light of Christ's sacrifice for you on your behalf. Read it in light of Genesis 3, that humanity chose by nature of God's love of us, free will and eating of the knowledge of tree of evil where we chose our own path. And now as we come to Job 1 and 2, there is, there's mystery and there's just this reality that what does faith look like in the middle of painful human existence? So Here's what we're gonna do over the moments ahead. We're gonna look at three characters of God and Satan and Job from Job one and two. Later, we'll talk about Job's wife about week five. But through looking at Satan and God and Job, the three main characters of these two chapters, it will reveal to us the challenge of this book about faithfulness and suffering, certainly, but ultimately point to worship being a gateway to stand firm when Satan attacks. And so as we look today at, in Job 1 and 2, I'll define faith as the ability to praise God even in the middle of the pain. We, we can praise in the pain. And by the end, some of you will may be ready to say, no matter the obstacles that come at me this day or this week or this month, I will believe in the goodness of God. And so let's begin here with kind of this character study, which will be our outline today, with the protagonist, the enemy, the accuser, Hebrew calls him the Satan, the Satan. Uh, Nathan just read this, but let me pick up in verse six of Job 1. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, the Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan said, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless. He, he is upright. He's a man who fears God. He shuns evil. And then Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put, he's now, Satan is attacking God. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household, everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But if you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. So this is this character of Satan, the Satan, the accuser in Job 1 that we must kind of wrestle with. Satan is a Hebrew word and it means the accuser, or in some translations, the adversary of both God and humanity. Satan was an angel, the Bible tells us, there at creation. Uh, and then he rebelled from pride. He shows up as a serpent in the garden in Genesis 3. Uh, he shows up in First Chronicles to provoke David to do a census over Israel. He shows up in different places. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 10, I saw Satan fall from heaven. 
And, and Satan tried to become God. Both Isaiah and Ezekiel give a reference to this. And in Revelation, it gives language to Satan's rebellion that he took about a third of the angels that now are demons. We don't talk about this a lot in, in our culture here in Seattle, in you know Washington, Christianity, and Bethany, but we must wrestle with who is Satan and why is he in this story? How does he function? Uh, in Zechariah 3, um, Zechariah 3 verse 1 says this, he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan was standing at the right side to accuse him. And then the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. See, oftentimes in our modern kind of enlightened Christianity, we underestimate the power Satan has to steal and rob and destroy. Ephesians 6 warns us, Paul says, put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. That's Satan and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when it comes, not if it comes, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And so in this story, well, okay, where is Satan? He has access to heaven. I thought, I thought Satan was doomed in hell. No, he'll be in hell confined in Revelation. Revelation 20 says that, that they uh, will be tormented day and night forever and ever, that Satan and the demons will be confined to hell at the end of the story. But in this story, in Job 1 and 2, Satan says, I'm roaming the earth. He's roaming the earth, accusing people, moving around. First Peter 1 says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, the Satan, he's a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so in Job, it's like, well, what is Satan doing? It's, Satan is challenging the goodness of God in the book of Job. He, he's a, the accuser, he's the adversary, and he's not even accusing Job a bit there. He's actually accusing God. He's like, God, you, you've created hired mercenaries. People like Job don't love you, God, not for who you are. No, they love you for what you do for them. No one loves you, God, unless you buy people with blessing. He says, does, does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him? Have you not blessed him with money? And then, and then there's a, a wager or a bet is laid down by Satan. If you strike his stuff, Job will curse you. But God doesn't strike his stuff. Satan does. God doesn't take his children. Satan does. God doesn't, God is not the enemy to us through the scripture and in this story. That's a misreading of the text. Satan is there, the adversary, to say, God, if you raise your hand against Job and God, God relents, and that, that's hard for us, we're gonna get to God in a moment, but Satan starts wiping out Job's stuff in Job 1, and then he wipes out his health in Job 2 the camels, the, the, the oxen, and then, and then his children. It, it's really, really, really enlightening to remind ourselves that Satan is a force in this world trying to destroy us, the people of God, and destroy our marriages, and destroy our possessions, to destroy our health. And certainly we must wrestle with our own behavior and our own decisions 
But there is one, the Bible says from front to back, who longs to accuse us to be an adversary from the beginning of the story in Genesis to the end of the story, Revelation. That what is Satan doing? He is accusing God's people day and night before the throne. And so when you hear that still small voice that says, you're not, you're not very good, are you? You're, you're not gonna get out of this one. You, you, you failed there again. That's not the voice of God. That's not how God speaks to us. That's not how God speaks to Job. We're gonna get to God in a moment. This is Satan. And honestly, as I studied this week, I felt almost ill-equipped because we do so little training and teaching as a church on the spiritual forces. We need to do better. We need to do more. But this message is just a reminder that faith is choosing our stand against the accuser, the adversary, because Satan will set a trap for you over and over again. And, and whether you walk into the trap, whether you get stuck with a pain, whether you avoid the trap, there are ways that our faith can combat when Satan is trying to destroy us. We can pray, God help us. We can confess, Lord, I blew it. We can repent. We can say, I made a mistake. We can worship. We can say, God has made a way for me he covers my sin. That's the story of the cross. We are saved people. Praise be to God. Though Satan wants to make us forget. That's the character of Satan. Let's look at God. And again, we need like a whole sermon series on Job 1, but I, I'm gonna be moving right along here. Stay with me. Job uh, 1 verse 6. Let's talk about God. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, before God, and Satan came with them. The Lord said, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He's a man who fears God. He shuns evil. Verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything Job has is in your power, Satan, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Now this scene is repeated in a parallel structure in chapter two, except in chapter two, uh, God says, very well, then Job's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Now Job allows Satan to strike his stuff in chapter one, including his relationships and the people he loves. It's heartbreaking. And then, and then his health in chapter two. Some reflections on God from Job 1 and 2. This is hard. This is hard. Don't let your week go by where you don't pray over this and say, God, what can I learn about your character from this teaching about you? That's hard. The second thing I just want to say that comes from this book is God has more power than Satan. Satan asks permission, but God sets the boundaries. James 4 teaches us this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there is a power in God that is more powerful than the adversary, than the accuser. But it's, it's hard. Why, why does God allow this? Like when you read Job 1 and, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And then all these horrible things happen. And then Satan comes back to God in chapter two. And then God says again, have you considered my servant Job? And the reader's like, no, God, stop. Like, don't say it, God. I mean, it's, it's almost an awkward setup. It's almost like, God, were you playing with Job? You weren't. No, I want you to see the reality is that God is speaking words of affirmation of Job in this text. 
God is saying, have you considered this blameless one who has faith? Even when you hurt him, Satan, he still believes. In Job 2, God is saying, I'm so proud that Job continues to believe in me. I'm so happy that he has a faith in me. It's like God is saying he, he, he maintains his integrity and God has so much affection that he's speaking over Job. It says in verse three of chapter two, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and he's upright and he fears me and he shuns evil and he maintains integrity. Even though you, Satan, incited me against him to ruin him without reason. And I need so much more time about this. And this would actually be better suited to a coffee or a chat on couches than you listening through a screen. But my hope is that you, as you listen, would know that you would know in your heart that God speaks words of affection over you too, that he's proud of you too, that he knows how your faith has been difficult, but you continue to cling to it. And we're gonna hear more about God because at the end of this story is actually the longest speech by God in the entire Bible in Job 38 through 40. We'll have chapters of God's voice. We're not done hearing from God, but I do just wanna encourage you, even as you wrestle to know that your ability to stand firm in faith is a declaration of trust. Though I'm under attack, I put my trust in God. That's what faith is. Faith is, is, is not a get out of jail free card. It is not a, hey, I won't suffer. My stuff won't burn. My relationships will always flourish. It's not that. It's just saying, God, I'm gonna choose to trust you in faith even when the enemy attacks. And that's, that's what Job does. Like, let's talk about Job now as he's the kind of final character from Job 1 and 2. Verse 20, Job 1, at this, Job, he, he's lost his stuff. He's lost his kids. I can't even imagine his pain. And he got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head, signs of lament. He fell to the ground. He fell to the ground in worship. He fell to the ground in worship, Job 1.20 says. And then he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, the Lord take away. May the name of the Lord be praised. May, they be, may he be praised. May God be praised. Huh. Verse 22, and all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In chapter two, Job was afflicted with painful sores. And then it says in verse eight, Job took a piece of pottery and he scraped himself as he's sitting among the ashes. And he's actually sitting in ashes of dung. They would burn dung in that era to heat their homes and to, to, to provide for the businesses. And he was sitting in burned dung ash, trying to have some relief. And his wife, we'll talk about her in week five. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. The wife gets a bad rap from patriarchal scholars. The wife has just lost 10 children. Maybe we could cut her a break. She's trying to make sense of her loss. She's like, what's God doing, Job? It's not her fault. But he says, you're talking foolishly. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And then again, in all this, he didn't sin. Job was a godly man. He, he was a good father. 
It said in, in, at the beginning of Job, he was the greatest man among all the people of East. I don't think God scorecards us. I don't think that God's walking around like, all right, I'm moving Scott from number 172 to 171 because he paid his tithe. I don't think that. It's just, a, it's a declaration in the scriptures that Job lived excellently with an unshakable faith in God. And then this book of the Bible is given to us of how will his faith respond when he suffers? And it says there, he fell to the ground in worship. He maintained his integrity. He had his faith on display. These are the quotable elements of Job. This naked I came and naked I'll depart. The Lord's given and the Lord's taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we have some weeks ahead. That's why I really want to encourage you, even if you can't make it on a Sunday online or make it in person, to, to keep listening to these messages because there is an arc of what we, what we walk through in this embracing mystery, the story of Job series. But the reality for Job is he's embarking now on a, on a real narrative of a, of a journey. His grief has now set him on a course that none of us want to find ourselves on, the, the journey of grief. The, the, the long epic um, of journey of pain that when we suffer, when we lament. I said Sunday in church in person, I said, you know, that fire that we suffered as a church was on December 8th. And I said, I'm still grieving. And people were surprised and grateful that I could name it. We're less than a month out. I mean, grief, we, we like to be kind of experience something and be done with it. It's not how grief works. They are cycles and layers. And many of you know that because you've lost something and, and you have these echoes of pain that continue on. Job's now starting this, this epic journey, how to hold onto his faith. And so for us, as we kind of wrap up this message, but we're just beginning this journey, my, my hope and my encouragement for you is to not turn back to not say, you know what, I've seen something in God or I've seen something in the mystery that I'm living in or I'm so frustrated by the evangelical church or like we have all sorts of different buckets that we could say, you know what, and so now I'm out. And I hear it all the time, people that say, you know, I'm out. The fruit of leaving the faith and leaving God's church leaving that relationship or, or leaving that job or just leave, like oftentimes when we just leave, not from God's calling us, but from the spirit of fatigue and just kind of turning back that oftentimes the fruit of that is not more God in their lives, but, but more hurt. And so I want to encourage you to, to press on, to, to keep asking hard questions, to dig into this book with us. And as you consider, even this week in your devotional time, like what did I learn about God's character this weekend in Job 1 and 2? What do I now learn about Satan who stands before God constantly trying to accuse and condemn me? And what is Satan doing before God anyway? Like, I don't even like that. I wish God would just banish him and just create a closed system where there be no suffering, no temptation. We'll have that, friends, at the end of the story. We live in the middle of the story. We live in the middle of the drama. We live in the middle of the epic journey, holding on to our faith where Satan tries to destroy. God is speaking words of, of abundance over us. And we, like Job, are holding on hoping to hold on to our faith in the middle of every obstacle and every distraction. But may we, like Job, in the midst of our struggles, choose faith. Because as we do, 
We're saying, God, I want to praise you even when I'm in pain, not just at the end of the story, not just when everything is tied up with an easy little bow. That's where I want to, I want to leave us. I want to encourage you to look into your life this week. What's a painful situation you're enduring right now? A second question I would ask you as a follow-up to that is, how does Job's declaration that the Lord gives and takes away, but the Lord can still be praised, how does that challenge or inspire you right now? And then the third thing is like, what are you gonna do with this message in the week ahead? How will you wrestle with it? How will you pray about it? How will you choose to praise God right in the middle of your pain? You know, I said there's three characters and there is, there's really a fourth character and it's, it's you, it's you, the listener. In dramatic theory, they call that the fourth wall, that on stage there's three walls, but the invisible fourth wall is the person experiencing the show. And as you experience the story of Job, I want you to, I want you to lean in. I want you to watch. I want you to wrestle. I want you to pay attention to Job's faith. I want you to be a participant in the story. And I, if I could just speak a dream over you, I want your faith to grow. Not just once COVID's over and, oh, Bethany North has the new building now and that relationship that you're struggling, it's all fit. Like anyone can praise at the end. I want us to be a church that can praise God right in the middle like Job. Every journey has its difficulties, but there are opportunities for our faith to grow even when we don't understand And I believe that our faith is measured by our ability to have faith, not in the best of situations, but the worst. We see this in the story of Israel. When God parted the Red Sea and the nation of Israel stood from, we're gonna die, Pharaoh's people are closing in and the chariots. And then God parted the sea, Israel passed through, the waters closed in on Egypt. They go from from slaves to free people in a moment of deliverance and they praise God. Exodus 15, Miriam, she grabs the tambourine, she's dancing, she's on the far side of the Red Sea. Moses is praising, Miriam's praising, it's all there. Exodus 15, 19, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea. Then Miriam, she danced with a tambourine in her hand and the women followed her. Everyone's praising God. Sing to the Lord, he's he's highly exalted. They're on the far side of the miracle because it's easier to praise God after the miracle, after the breakthrough. What does it look like for you to praise on this side of the Red Sea? What does it look like for you to praise on this side of Omicron, on this side of the relationship being restored, on this side of any obstacle in your life? That's what faith is. And there aren't all that many times where we get to say like, and be invited into, we have an opportunity to praise God on this side of our Red Sea moment. I mean, corporately, because of the fire, because of the ambiguity and how hard, you know, the church is suffering in America. Like we're on this side of the Red Sea. Individually, you've got a beautiful story you're living. I, I invite you to consider what it would look like in the week ahead to praise in the middle of your pain, to praise God, not in the absence of the mystery, absence of conflict, 
but on this side, while you're waiting for God to heal or redeem or restore. This is what faith looks like. And this is our invitation. I promise you, we're not gonna throw a bunch of easy answers at you. We're gonna invite us as a community each week as we consider Job for our own story, for our faith to grow. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this moment, these people, their difficulties, their journeys. God, we hear you now speaking words of affection over them, words of beauty, words of goodness, words of wholeness. God, the stories that they've been told about them by the enemy are not your story you have about them. God, we ask that you would bind up the power of Satan in people's lives in our church, the way marriages are being destroyed and kids are full of anxiety and COVID rages on. Lord God, would you bind Satan as he seeks to destroy all that is good in this earth? And God, would you allow us, even in this present tense, to choose faith, that our faith would grow, and that we would enter into these relationships and difficulties of everything we're facing right now as healers and reconcilers because of who you've made us to be, God, inspired by your deliverance, seeking to be people of hope and healing, even in the midst of Satan's great attacks. Lord God, we would uh, ask all these things in your name. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.